and encouraging conversation about the future of the pastoral leadership in the United Methodist Church, even in light of incredible social, racial, and political unrest in our country and deep division in our United Methodist Church, here on episode number 46 of the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, we have a conversation with seminary students Rachel Haynes and Mackenzie Phillips. There is too much pain. There's too much work. There's still too much injustice to check in with those experiencing it and those understanding it is something I can do. And when I talk to God about it, I'm reminded that it's something I need. Hello, this is Bishop Julius Trimmer from the Indiana area. And you are connecting with the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, doing all the good we can. Welcome to the United Methodist People Podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to accomplishing the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The United Methodist People Podcast helps clergy and church leaders connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from the people making a difference in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. And now, here's Brad. Hello, good people, and welcome to the United Methodist People Podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. A moment ago, you heard the voice of Rachel Haynes, a seminary student at Candler School of Theology in Atlanta, Georgia. And she and Mackenzie Phillips were my guest today on the United Methodist People podcast. Mackenzie is a student at Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis, Indiana. And they were a point of encouragement in our conversation today, because what we're all about here in the United Methodist People podcast is strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church so that we can achieve our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. At our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com, you can hear lots of great stories of people and leaders in our United Methodist Church who are doing their part to share the good news of Jesus Christ through whatever circumstances we find ourselves in our world and in our church, which is certainly under stress right now. What I want to encourage to you is that this is an encouraging conversation that I had with two impressive young women who come to us in their seminary experience, and they will certainly be great leaders in the church. Interestingly enough, both Rachel and Mackenzie are products of the St. Joseph United Methodist Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and a part of our conversation was around the faith formation they received in their local church, and that should be an encouragement to us local church pastors and churches and our youth programs and our mentorship to help guide people into ministry. We talked here in this conversation, which went very in-depth, about their faith formation, about their experiences in college and in seminary, which have helped form their faith and given them opportunities to live out their faith, and what they're going through. What are some of the challenges that they see and they face and they observe in our world? You know, racism, violence, political unrest, uh, situations certainly in our United Methodist Church with division there. And what is, what do they bring to bear? What do they bring to offer to the table? How do they handle differences of opinion or conflict? And what is their approach to ministry? Uh, and what certainly what gives them hope for the future of the United Methodist Church. I have to say that this was an incredibly encouraging conversation. I think you're going to love it. You're going to love being encouraged by Mackenzie Phillips and, uh, and by Rachel Haynes in this episode number 46 of the United Methodist People podcast. I don't want to delay it any longer, so let's get into this conversation with Rachel and Mackenzie right now. Today, we're privileged to have a couple of seminary students with us. 
who are going to speak into their experience and preparation for ministry, their call to ministry, and what's going on in the world of seminary, and also what is going on in terms of the lives of uh, some of our uh, younger people in terms of entering ministry and entering the ministry of the world we live in now with some particular challenges in our society and our United Methodist Church. Mackenzie Phillips is with us. She is a 2020 graduate of Hope College in Michigan, and she's on the staff of High High Street United Methodist Church in Muncie, Indiana, and she's going to be beginning at Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis in the fall of 21. We're glad that she's with us, as well as Rachel Haynes, who graduated from Emory and Henry College in Virginia in 2018 and is a student at Candler School of Theology in Atlanta, Georgia. She looks to graduate in 2022 and is looking to take an appointment in the church at that that time. So Mackenzie and Rachel, welcome to the United Methodist People podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Awesome. We're glad that you're with us here today. And it's been, it's my privilege to just to be uh, talking to people who uh, are making some profound decisions. That's what people do when they go to seminary and <laughs> choose to go into ministry. And so, and that's, I just really love to talk to people when they're in transformative and transitional points in life. And so I just want to uh, start with you, Mackenzie. Mackenzie, you uh, tell, I would like to learn a little bit about you, particularly about your a little bit about your history in terms of what got you pointed towards a life in ministry and then to go to go on to college with an eye towards seminary. Something happened in your life that lead, lead you in this direction. So this, tell us your story a little bit. Yeah, um, well, my name is Pastor Mackenzie Phillips. Um, I'm currently a licensed local pastor in the United Methodist Church of Indiana. Um, kind of how I got here, I grew up in Fort Wayne, and I went to St. Joseph United Methodist Church. Rachel and I actually went to the same church, which is just cool to have this connection again. And which um, is awesome, and maybe we can talk about that a little bit too. Yeah. Uh, what, ha- what was happening in that church? Yeah. Uh, I think something that is really great about the experience that I had at St. Joseph and kind of how it got me to this point is they do a wonderful job at encouraging young people and people who want to pursue um, potential ministry or just feel some type of calling by Christ um, and allowing them to explore that calling. And that was my story. Um, I remember when I first felt my calling, um, I was going through a really rough time in my high school years. Um, I had lost some friends and was just really struggling with how do I be a Christian in a non-Christian environment? Um, And I would often see repercussions of that and just people would always hold me to this higher standard and it was a lot to live up to. And um, I was actually worshiping at Epworth Forest and um, just this huge sense um, of God's presence had come over me and I was weeping and I was confused at why I was weeping and um, all these things. And uh, I actually heard God's voice say to me, like, you will lead my people. I was probably... 15, maybe 16 at the time. Um, And that was a really scary thing at that time. Um, I didn't tell anyone for quite a while. Um, And then I went to our pastor at the time, Russ Abel, um, and just said, hey, I I think I felt this call from God. I don't really know what to do with this. Um, It's scary. It's confusing. Um, And he had said to me, you know, our staff parish has been praying for you for six months because we see these gifts in you and this call in you. And I kind of, at that point was like, okay, this is a legit thing. This is from God. It's not just me being crazy. Um, And so, you know, that, that calling has looked a little different over the years as I've had new experiences and going to college and going to a Christian college in a different state um, and just the environment there um, which really just focused on growing in faith and challenging your faith, um, and things like that. Um, but I've always known that pastoral ministry is what I want to do. Um, I, if it was a year ago, you would have told me I would have been here in Indiana again, associate pastor of a church. I would have probably said you're crazy, but we're here now. Um, the Lord works in his time and 
um, I did decide to wait to go to seminary uh, one year, and I think that was a great decision for me and my faith, and I think I had a lot of growing that I needed to do, so that's kind of where I am now and how I kind of got to this place, um, being on this podcast today, so. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. Thank you for sharing that story, and if you're going to sit out a year in school for this past year of 2020, probably was a good time as any with yeah, the, for, the, sure. The, uh, <laughs> for sure <laughs> craziness that uh, went on with that in academic circles and everything else. Uh, Rachel, uh, so glad to have you with us. You're a student right now mm-hmm. at, uh, at Candler Seminary in Atlanta, but let's unpack your story a little bit, which some of which overlaps with McKinsey, doesn't it? So yeah. your, your story, please, about your coming to Christ and coming into ministry, seminary, and so on. Yeah, a huge, true blessing to like see McKinsey in this space again. Um, because I think that growing up, I had parents and grandparents who were involved in their own churches and also at St. Joseph United Methodist Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where it was sort of, we went to church because it was routine, but also to be with people more so than the narrative of we go to church because you need to be saved and you need this or X, Y, Z. And so going to church was easy. Going to St. Joseph growing up was so easy. Um, There, we had such a, in my experience of it, I had such a, um, a formative and true youth group experience and was also able to be understood by folks and the church and be given opportunities to speak, to be heard, to sing, to just be told that you're enough, you know? And I think a lot of the leaders in various ways in that church gave me some of my best friends and also equipped me with understanding what my life looked like outside of youth group growing up. And so I like, I had a lot of friends at school who, you know, also would say very blessed in that way, but every step of the way of me figuring out what my faith journey was in high school, that even though I had friends who are atheists, who are UU, who are Muslim, who, you know, in high school had such a different experience, but they would even say, you're enough, you're loved, this is okay, you know, to have just this continuous affirmation that faith was something that I was just working on continuously through high school. So for me, I'm really blessed that it was easy and getting to college was the was um the first time I realized that getting to faith wasn't easy for everyone um and that because I have been so fortunate to see healthy church spaces that I have this obligation in school to say, what, what, is, what does this look like now in college? What does my faith look like here? And Emory and Henry College is a United Methodist school, but they didn't have a lot of required Christian opportunities. They had opportunities that were extracurricular and they had a religion degree. And I was kind of going to school to just carry my faith along with me, but not like, I was going to school to be a high school history educator and also just do a religion major on the side. And then um, about two years in, there was this really great degree that was originally called public policy and community service, which they now call civic innovation. But um, Reverend Miller really resonates with me on you know what this podcast means because that major, not only was it nonprofit business, not only was it like how to be a leader, but it was also the importance of storytelling. like. How do we appreciate one another? How do we actually do sustainable community work? How do we actually show up for one another? And how do we realize all of these pieces are interconnected? And so seeing like, I was like, oh, this feels, this doesn't even feel like, this is just exciting. This doesn't feel like work. This feels like who 
the stuff I've been called to think about alongside my religion major. And still not knowing what I want to do with that, graduating college in 2018 and then spending a year um, in AmeriCorps doing some nonprofit business work because that felt really aligned with the civic innovation stuff before sort of seeing like, maybe, maybe my faith journey isn't something that just sits alongside me. Maybe it's something that I'm missing in my work. Maybe it's mm -hmm. now something that I'm understanding is more foundational than I've given it, given it credit for going forward. Well, that, that's an awesome. Thank you uh, for sharing about that, Rachel. I am interested mm -hmm. in your take a little bit in that uh, about your experiences. You mentioned our little bit about, about St. Joseph church in Fort Wayne. Russ Abel happens to be a personal friend of mine and I know some of the good work that's gone on there. Um, but what that, it's just interesting how this evolved with two folks from that same youth group in the same church uh, come forward here. What do you think was some of the environment that was happening there that is helpful to nurture young people like yourself to step forward? I'm talking to you now, Rachel. Yeah, I, so I first want to say, you know, not everything like was perfect. When you have like this group of 25 kids, we had a, for, at one point just a really, I think McKinsey and I were both on different ends of the cycle of heightened youth group activity. You know, you've got pastors with families, you've got these connections to Christian schools and people were bringing their friends. And so I think the endearing part of a lot of youth group activities were that it really felt like for the most part, I was just hanging out with my friends. And that was like the biggest reason I went. Um, and being able to do things together and being able to be given space, you know, whether it was on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday night, or if it was like the unofficial stuff that happened afterwards, like, you know, you talk in the parking lot or like you do, you know, the fun, like Thursday night hangout or you um, go to camp together. You know, there are all of these different informal ways for youth to understand each other. And St. Joe really had a good network for that, especially I think for me being always, I've always been like a little weird and like a little different. And so there were also, like weird and different and cool kids mm -hmm. in youth group. And so you, you were affirmed in that without being, you yeah, know, called yeah. out for being weird or something like that. So, and, and to so, see women do it and yeah. to see women do it. There were, and I think Mackenzie can speak on this too. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize but, until college how important women in ministry really was at that point. Yeah. What well, is to kind of reflect with, uh, or pastors or church leaders who are listening to this podcast here today about how just extremely vitally important the full cycle of the church, local church experiences, the faith development, oh, and yeah. to the developing of people who see their call, whether it is to ministry or to being a Christian businessman or to woman anything. or a school yeah. teacher or anything else. And as you probably have appreciated now, not every church, in fact, most church experiences are not like that yeah. for young people or other people as well. And I'm fortunate and blessed, even though I'm at a much different stage in my life than you, my, I came into uh, my faith through much the same way, through youth group and through church camp and things like that. And still very mindful about my experiences at Camp Manito and other places that were important to me. But there's got to be transitions you, it, the, the local church and youth group and high school, you know, it's a bit of a, you know, a protected bubble in a way. And then we move on to college with both of you experienced recently. And then, you know, and then, uh, then Rachel, you're in seminary as well. And also we're involved with some civic activities with us and volunteerism. Mm -hmm. Let's ask you, Mackenzie, when did you kind of get a little dose of reality that, in your life, either through college or through ministry, that, uh, that you know, this calling thing, this ministry thing is going to be a bit of a, a challenge. Tell me about time, McKenzie, when you kind of had a bit of a reality check. Yeah, um, 
I mean, I think this past year in entering into a pastoral role in the middle of a pandemic, fresh out of undergraduate, um, not really knowing what I was doing or what I was getting in myself into, I think it was really just a reality check in a lot of ways of moving away from Fort Wayne and from my parents' home. Um, yes, I had been in Michigan, but really being on my own for the first time. And um, I, I feel like I was in a place, I was in a program last school year called the Mayus Scholars Program at Hope. And we touched on um, how faith and social justice intertwine, not knowing that all of these things were about to unfold and happen coming in March of 2020. We had no idea it was coming. Um, but I think entering into ministry in the middle of a pandemic and high street situation is a little different as both me and the senior pastor were both new to the church, um, and which doesn't happen really ever. Um, and it was hard. It was really, really hard at first. Um, I mean, the congregation that I am, I am probably the youngest person or one of the youngest people here, and I'm in a leadership position. I'm also a woman, which is not normal to this congregation. Um, they've had a lot of male lead pastors, and that's just how it's been, or male associate pastors, and, um, you know, just it was a bit of in shambles when we got here. And I think I didn't know what ministry was or what being a pastor even was. And then coming in, it was hard. Um, there was many days and many times that I was like, Lord, what are you doing? Like, why am I in this place? And is this really what you called me to do? Cause I'm not doing well right now. Um, and I think that was really the first, like, oh, ministry is not this thing that it's so complex and I don't think people understand unless they're going through it, how complex it actually is and how many layers there are of not only taking care of other people, but learning to take care of yourself as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's been so rewarding, but it's also been so hard in mm -hmm. some ways, especially entering in, in the middle of a pandemic and all the civil unrest and things like that. Sure, I think sure. this year has really been just an eye opener to what ministry really is to me. And I, indeed, indeed, ministry is hard and you, and, and <laughs> it's hard for me to imagine someone entering in a more difficult circumstance they're doing almost anything than the year 2020, you know, to start something brand new. But Rachel, I asked you basically, you know, the same question. Did you have a kind of a, uh, oh my goodness, or a reality check moment when you realized that this is going to be some serious stuff here? I know you're involved with some volunteer opportunities, but have you had a moment like this? Every day, <laughs> you know, you sort of like check with yourself. It's like, oh, okay, we have, we still have work to do. Um, It was really easy for me in college to be in tr like attracted to interfaith work because I thought, wow, like there's so much I didn't know growing up in my white, predominantly middle-class um, world of, you know, there's United Methodism, there's BAP, you know, like I only know interdenominational work. And so I became really attracted to interfaith work. And then when I realized that for me, it was more difficult to find compromise or to be in conversation in interdenominational conversation, it was more difficult to do that rather than interfaith work. It was like, oh, there's, there's still more work to do. There's, you know, there's always more work to do. And I don't think I have one moment in particular, and that might be just due to my bad memory, but also I think like we're just continuously faced with new and evolving needs and aspirations of what needs to be the next mm -hmm. job, what needs to be the next, you know, focus. What do you, uh, what do you think, uh, address this to both of you here, 
now that you've had, you know, you've had your experience in high school and youth group and your church and, and you've had your experiences with college and some seminary and some uh, real life ministry in the local church and in, and in the interfaith and other and volunteer agencies. What are some of the good ways that you feel like your college or seminary experiences have prepared you for these experiences? What are some takeaways you've been able to apply? Mackenzie, I'll ask you first. Yeah. Hope was just such a unique place. And it was really the first time in my life where I felt like this is where this is where I belong and this is where I'm supposed to be in this moment of life. And I think something similar to like what Rachel said about um, Emory was that hope really, it was a Christian school and it affiliates with the RCA church, but they didn't force students to participate in religious activities or other things or chapel wasn't required, but they really gave students the space to explore their faith in whatever aspect they wanted to and really make it their own. And I really think that that is something that I really appreciate about Hope is that they allowed me the space to explore my faith, make it my own, be involved in things, meet people that could challenge me in my faith because I was super challenged in a lot of ways, especially in the May Scholars program that I was in talking on topics of race and sexuality and all of these things and how they relate to faith. And um, I just, that's something that I really appreciate. And I think it's made me more able to give people the space to explore their faith and not expect them to have it all together or be where I'm at um, in their faith, but continue to walk alongside them like people at Hope walked alongside me um, in exploring the different areas of their faith. I think that's the number one thing that mm-hmm. I really got I out of Hope. Gave you a little, some tools to help process and to actually uh, have insight into how to react to people. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm hearing you say. And, Rachel, I'll ask you pretty much the same thing. What do you, what do you, what takeaways have you been able to apply in your real life experience that you've been dealing with now? I think in undergrad, I was given the opportunity to understand that religious literacy needed to be accessible in order to understand community, like community stories and community action work. And like, how do we how do we make our faith journeys and faith stories something that we're proud of or something that intertwines Mm -hmm. that we can understand the reality of how they intertwined in building communities. And in seminary, some of the things that I've really been so appreciative that I've learned are context is everything. Context is everything. When we meet people where we are, when we read the Bible, when we sit with ourselves Um, another thing is it's always beneficial when we're telling stories to ask the question whose voice isn't being heard and whose voice is telling the story. And the biggest thing so far in, in seminary that I've really wrestled with on how I do this better is what does it mean to have this ministry of presence, um, to be present with people, um, especially right now when we are all so isolated. How are we rethinking presence in this mm-hmm. digital necessity type right. of world? Right. Let me ask one more, one more kind of background type question. We're going to get into some little deeper issues here in just a second, but that is just basically what I'll ask you first, Rachel, what scriptures or teaching or leadership approaches have help form you the book of ecclesiastes is was the first time i felt comforted with change you know i've i've learned an awful lot about proof texting and but you know and like holding you know chapters and stories and things like this in general but i i 
I sit with this part of me that lives in this pluralist world and so many people who identify as spiritual but not religious Mm -hmm. that, you know, Ecclesiastes has helped me see this, like maybe this outsider book of the Bible that's written in this way that no other book is written in. And we've got this, um, we've got this character in the story called the teacher who may or may not be, you know, what kind of influences are sitting here. And yet it's a part of our canon. And yet it's still here. And I think you could ask that same question for a lot of the different, you know, I I think a lot of us who have these favorite books or characters, you know, we ask those same questions, but it's helped me wrestle with that a lot of the things I believed at one point were universal aren't so much, mm-hmm. but that that's okay. Well, Ecclesiastes deals a lot with ultimate questions, you know, vanity and so on. And about, right. uh, what is, what's it all about? That kind of stuff. So, right. so that's that, stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Simple. yeah. Well, that's what, <laughs> that's what we, but that's what we end up doing in ministry is we have to struggle with these hard issues ourselves in order to even be helpful at all with other people, yeah. whatever kind yeah. of ministry context that we're in. So Mackenzie, how about you? Any scriptures or teachers or uh, approaches to teaching that is a really foundational for you? Yeah. Um, I think for me, the book of Psalms has really just become one that has really shaped the way that I view the world, Um, just that interconnection between how do we grieve the things that are hard, the things that hurt us, the things that hurt God's heart, and but how do we also see God's goodness and praise the Lord even when those things are hard? Um, And I think I worked as a hospital chaplain two summers ago and that's when I really came to just realize the importance of grief and how everyone grieves differently and so the book of psalms has really been one that has really just become a special thing in my heart um, just because of that interconnection but also a Someone, a pastor came into one of my classes once and said, it's so important for us when we're talking about scripture and talking about bigger issues, which we're going to get into, to recognize the context from which and the situation and the historical time from which that scripture is written so that we can identify that, but also use that with how we respond in modern day life. That was so, hearing that was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. And why did I never do this before? And mm-hmm. I think that that has really changed how I read the Bible, how I preach to my congregation and just expressing to them the importance of doing that, but also the importance of consulting the word. things and not what we think the word says but what is actually in the word and Mm -hmm. what is the truth that's in it so awesome awesome to share that i ask you those things because i just really interested in kind of the foundations which help form us as we apply it to ministry moving forward because the next area i want to go with is going to be a little little bit deeper and a little bit more pertinent to our world right now so i'm just interested in your kind of your foundational thinking about all these things and I was talking to a colleague of mine who retired a year or two ago and, and I said, you know, I'm going to be talking to some seminary students here and about entering ministry. And and so, and uh, what should I ask them? And they just said, ask them why, why are you going to do this? And I'm I'm going to ask you that question that in the context of we're recording this in April of 20 of 2021, after a year or more than a year now of some real, total upheaval in society and our United Methodist Church. We've had the COVID crisis, which has impacted so many people. We've had incredible racial tensions. Uh, we've had, you know, we, uh, with uh, police shootings and all kinds of terrible things that have happened. Uh, the co- mass killings, the community I live in Indianapolis just had a mass killing this week. Uh, we've had, you know, terrible situations with political, just 
craziness going on the last uh, year or so and and the economy being messed up and uh, health issues, all kinds of things. It's been a tough world, a little on what's going on in United Methodist Church. But my question has to do with why are you doing this now in such a such a time as this? And Rachel, why? Why are you doing this? That's a good question. I think on my worst mental health days, I, when I ask myself that question, I have to say, you know, well, why not? You know, what, why not? Um, but I also, on my better days, have to remember, and I'm lucky to remember what I've been given and even just reflecting on the beginning of like my faith journey and how many indirect and informal points of our lives, we ref- like we even touch religious education or we're formed by our faith. People who have never stepped foot in a church, people who will never say the words United Methodists are still being formed in their faith on a daily basis. And I, I know that I have the capacity to listen and to work to be a better listener, helper, not so much teacher anymore, I don't think, but, or preacher even, but I, from everything you've just said, there is too much pain. There's too much work. There's still too much injustice that to check in with those experiencing it and those understanding it is something I can do. And when I talk to God about it, I'm reminded that it's something I need to do. Mackenzie, why? Why, why, why? Why are you doing this? I think especially just over the last year, and this has become even more true to me and evident, is that I just want people to know that they have a place where they can be seen, known, and loved for whoever they are. And that I want to be a person that makes them feel that way, but also that they, that God sees them in that way. And I think this time more than ever, people just want to feel that they have a place that they are wanted and that they belong and that cares about them. And I think that I, I have always been a person that is compassionate for many types of different people. Um, but also just, I just feel like that's in this time is the space that I am called to create in the way that I present the word to people. Um, And also just reminding people that despite all of the crap that's going on in the world and all the issues and things like that, that God is so good and that he is still working, even when it's hard to see. And if I can, I mean, I would would say that I have been affirmed that I'm a strong writer and a strong speaker um, and that I really do try to preach and teach um, what is in the word. And um, even if that means sometimes that challenges people. Um, But I think that that is, I know that I have those abilities and kind of like Rachel, like why not use them if I have them? Um, And that I feel this calling, like why not do that? Um, I can't let a global pandemic be an excuse to stop a call because a call doesn't ever stop. It continues to go even in the changing of seasons and things that are going on. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that, that's awesome to have that attitude because there are, both of you mentioned, there's some hard moments and there's some uh, reality checks we've also talked about here. And the call has to, something has to sustain you and keep you going when you, run into these hard times. And one of the things that I'm aware of uh, in the world and in our United Methodist Church is that there is, 
you know, a lot of distrust. There's a lot of acrimony. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of people who just have differing views who feel like they're not heard, for instance. And so we are sometimes lacking in finding ways of finding some commonality. And so, Rachel, I just want to kind of direct this towards you. How do you find yourself when you find yourself encountering uh, people or situations or political views or ministry views or views, as, for instance, you mentioned about women in ministry and things like this? How do you deal with that, Rachel, when you're encountered with someone who is just really far off from where you're at? And how do you, uh, how do you relate to them and how do you do ministry in those situations? Yeah. How do, how do we, um, every, every interaction is different, I think for sure. And, um, something that I've really taken, taken away from, from my work in undergrad and likewise my work in learning about how we teach religious education and like just pedagogical methods of like just doing teaching anything at all when it's like the best ways from moving to this like hierarchical kind of teaching of like uh, here's the information retain it repeat it have it that we know like that isn't always successful and it's not really successful when we're trying to understand one another and one of the easiest ways we can start to rethink a different kind of structure when it comes to teaching is to first check in with each other, you know, to really, I like to always start a conversation, especially if I don't want to admit to myself that I have an agenda, but I do have an agenda um, to quiet that part of my mind and like, remember the present moment that I'm in. Remember that the person I'm talking to is a child of God to give them time to ask them how they are to hear them more so than talk to them or with them. And it's to be committed to the long-term sustainability of the agenda rather than the heightened, the heightened response I may want to give or the more immediate reaction that I am experiencing is, is a battle and something that I, you know, am blessed to have the time and the space right now to sort of learn and hone in on with myself so that I can become a better chaplain, a better friend, a better daughter. You know, I, to regulate my own emotions is to work on behalf of others even better. Mackenzie, I'll just kind of address you. I know you, you mentioned already in your local church setting, how you're one of the youngest people, for instance, and you're uh, one of the few women clergy they've maybe ever have ever had there. And just, I know that's a very, you know, very much of a downtown institutional church and so on. So I'm assuming that, and, uh, and so the question basically is for you, how do you deal with differences then? How do you, you know, whether it's political or women in ministry, any number of things or theological stuff, how do you deal with that as you face that? Yeah. I mean, in terms of the women in ministry one, that's a really hard one for me because it's like the one, you know, we all have that one thing that we're like, I would die on the hill for this, for any woman to be like, for me, that's the one that's like, I, so sometimes it is really hard for me to, and I've really had to learn like, to not, like Rachel said, give that heightened response, especially in terms of that topic, because that is one that I'm like, there's no question like that women should be able to be ministers. And like, who, who are you to say that I can't preach the word because of my biological self or things like that? Um, but I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, have faced numerous times here. Like there is a lot of differing opinions of things and especially in terms of I am younger. And so some of my views about things are probably different than a lot of people here. Um, but I think something that I've had to really learn is that I sometimes 
I have to give myself space to back to back um, off and to really just make clear to them, okay, I need, I need some time to really think about this, to think about what you said, to know that I was really listening to you and then giving them that response or things that they were hoping for, which I know is like not cool in today's culture because it's very much, well, I got to respond right away. I got to respond right away, you know, like that back and forth. But I think that that has really been the way that I have really learned to one, know within myself, okay, what are the things and biases that I have? How are those hindering these conversations that I'm having? Um, kind of shutting those things off or trying to shut those things off and then be like, okay, what did I hear from what this person is saying? What can I take from this conversation and how can I respond in a way that is grace-filled and compassionate while still not agreeing 100% with what they said, but seeing where they came from. And I think allowing myself to step back and take that space and then communicate to them, I need to take this space to do this. Even though sometimes you get a negative response to that, I think that has been something that has been really helpful for me Mm -hmm. in responding to things. Rachel and Mackenzie, I think one of the real temptations when we come out of a academic sort of environment and uh, college seminary and even in youth group and so on. And especially if we've had overall kind of more or less a positive experience is when we're encountered with a negative or with some some sort of pushback, we kind of have to take a breath ourselves and kind of say, okay, how do I need to respond to this? And what the temptation is there, and I'll speak for myself because, you know, I went and got advanced degrees and all that kind of stuff. And, and had good experiences is the temptation is kind of thinking, okay, well, I've got some answers here because I've got educated and so on and so forth. And, and when those are rejected, it's kind of like, uh, okay, that, uh, that didn't go like I thought. So I think the talent comes into play here and we both you, both you are exhibiting here in some really amazing ways is to uh, take a breath and listen, take a breath and listen and to seek to really be that unanxious voice in anxious times, which is hard to do sometimes, especially if you, if your buttons get pushed like mine do sometime. And so I just want to encourage you that I'm hearing some good stuff here from you about how to handle conflict, how to be engaged in ministry without being, uh, without being a jerk, you know, which is uh, kind of way oftentimes the church comes across as being kind of, uh, you know, obnoxious and dogmatic and so on <laughs> and in such a way that it's not helpful. And I wish, and my hope for you moving forward, we can be more helpful in everything because we live in a time right now and both of you are very aware that everything we are about as United Methodists is on the table. It's being challenged and, and it's on the line. And the reality is, is that, um, well, it was like, I was talking to a, uh, pastor friend of mine not too long ago of another denomination and uh, the conversation you know well well, i'm I'm a united methodist and uh, he said oh i mean you're the untied methodist so Uh so uh the point i want to give here with you is that how do you you know the reality is in the united methodist church that we are almost certainly heading towards a division of some sort in the next uh, year or so or more uh, how does that impact your approach to ministry or your approach to entering into this world or does it at all? And I just, because I just think this is the reality that almost every United Methodist has to deal with. How are we going to choose? Are we going to have to choose sides? Are we going to have to somehow straddle the middle? Are we going to have to somehow be one thing to one group of people, one thing to another group of people? How are we going to handle this and how are we going to be true to ourselves and true to our calling in the midst of this? That's something every clergy is dealing with right now. Every mm-hmm. lay person in one form or another is dealing with. Mm-hmm. But I'm really interested in the take of seminary students as they have to deal with this, not only in your academic environment, but in, in the church environment. How do you deal with this dilemma here? So I'll ask you first, Rachel. I think something that you know, and maybe we're tired of, you know, something that the pandemic has taught us or something that this has brought up, you know, starting phrases like that. 
but something that this pandemic I think has shown us is what are we going to do if we don't have the control we thought we did Mm. what are we going to do was it the control of a situation that brought us joy or is it is it finding contentment in what the situation is is it saying I'm committed to moving forward here I think that this time that we're in is showing us, like you've said, a lot more questions than there are answers. And I think that our, our structure, our response time, our mission, and our identity are things that require those questions, require this thought, but along the way, we also have to see who we're hurting in that process of waiting to yeah. figure out the answers. Well, McKenzie, you know, you, you, you're now serving in a, in a church. What's your thoughts about how we, you know, I'm sure some of these conversations are going on in your local church, for instance. Well, how do we deal with it? How do we deal with what's going on in the world of our United Methodism right now? Yeah, yeah. Um... I think that in my own personal life, like this whole process has of what are, what is the United Methodist going to church going to choose? Like what is going to happen? I think it really has been a grieving process because I've like, I've, I've grown up United Methodist and just to see that the tradition that I hold so dear to my heart, is not going to be what it once was and that's and that's evident and and really having to grieve within myself like that it's not going to be how it was but also I think uh yeah kind of like what the pandemic has taught because I mean it really has is that sometimes the things and the structures need to change or change is happening because there's a greater plan for God that God has for the United Methodist Church in place whatever that may be Mm -hmm. um and I mean that and that's out of chaos creation perhaps yeah and I think it's it's really hard in the place of being a clergy because yeah like you like you had mentioned like, where am I going to end up? Like, am I going to be in this area or this area? And what's that going to look like? Like, that's really scary because it's like, I just want to do ministry. I just want to bring, like, glorify God in what I do. But what if that means that, you know, the United Methodist Church, as I known it, is not the place for me. And this is where I thought it was for me. I know that's a question that a lot of clergy are probably having right now because I've had that same question um but yeah I don't think that the change the congregation that I'm serving in they don't enjoy change at all um but I think something that they've really grown in and that I'm glad to see is that they realize that things can change and not always be the same as they were and God can still be glorified and that things can be good or even better than what they were before. And I think that with this whole, everything that's gonna happen, I really want that to be my mindset going in is that, okay, whatever happens, maybe something better is coming out of it. Um, but what it is, was- it's a grieving process. It really mm-hmm. is a grieving process with all of this and it's a lot to take in. <laughs> well, let, let, let's hope so, be praying for that because it, it has, it reminds me of um, dramatic and traumatic experiences people have, such as going through a major surgery or cancer or something, or also divorces that happen. And people can, or, you know, major, like a, losing a business, any number of things. How uh, You can get through these things, but it's painful, it's hurtful, and you can emerge healthier and different, but you will be different. And, and so, uh, and there are some, some creation and some hope in that. And so, 
just really got just kind of this one more thought for you, uh, uh, Rachel and uh, Mackenzie, to, to reflect on here. Just one more thing. Hope. You know, we've talked a little bit about some challenges. We've talked about some some realities, some good experiences you had growing up and in your college experiences and seminary experiences. We're also talking about some challenges here to our personal faith and to our our world and to our church. But uh, Rachel, what are some signs of hope you see either in your life or for the life of uh, mission and ministry moving forward? Signs of hope. Yeah, and bringing it back to like the seminary context, something that gives me hope is the amount of, or just the amount of students and incredibly wonderful people who are called to go get an MDiv or go get an MTS or, you know, or see seminary in a new way that aren't planning on getting ordained, that are going and doing new and exciting things and finding the right words to back that up. I think even in my own conversations with people, sometimes I say I'm going to graduate school to study religion. And sometimes I say I'm going to seminary to be a chaplain, depending on who I'm talking to, because I think that where we are now requires us to wear a lot of new hats in order to do the work of ministry and to talk about it, to articulate that. And it's, and that is happening. Um, so a wonderful and cool people in conversations that I've had to have in just the last year and a half have been, I've been so grateful for. And I, without a doubt, the, the hope is there in this particular field, but um, in an individual and generational way we have to remind ourselves to, to actively look for hope and to actively look for these good things and to, to have that and to be surrounded by people who are committed to that yeah. can only make I, us stronger. I love that uh, phraseology you used there, Rachel, actively look for hope. So that's yeah. good. Can't wait for just to come to you. We can't let uh, things just happen to us. We have to be proactive and be, be engaged. And so because yeah. you ask you, Signs of hope. What do you see signs of hope either in your life, your church, your uh, experiences, your ministry moving forward? Signs of hope. Yeah, I think one of the coolest things I've seen in the midst of the pandemic is just the creative ways that we have learned to minister to other people, whether that be online through doing virtual services or um, just really having to change the way that we connect with people. And I think that is something that I think a lot of people, a lot of churches, a lot of uh, church leaders and just other leaders have realized this is important and like we need to continue to do this. And I, I just remember at the beginning of the pandemic, just seeing the way that people, um, especially people of faith, were interacting with one another and be like, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. Like that are the things that give me hope that okay, there's in amongst all of this, like people want to connect with others in a new and inviting way. And it is also giving more people, if they choose to have access to services in ways that they maybe wouldn't before um, or devotionals or other, other things that can bring them closer to Christ on their own terms. I think that's something that has just been so cool to see and that I'm so hopeful for. But yeah, I think also just people asking questions, which is really weird of the church and of ministers and about God and all of this in the mix of all that's going on with the pandemic and social unrest and just asking people, Christians and the church, like, what are you going to do about it? Like, what is your yeah. response to it? Like, I think really calling us into proactive action. Like, yeah. you can't sit idle anymore. Like, what is going to happen? I think yeah. that having those questions be asked in such a breath of fresh air and gives me so much hope that people are asking the question, but that we as 
religious leaders and people who just care that are in the faith, like even just people who are in the faith are willing to, well, most people willing to, hi everyone, um, explore those questions and then do something about that. I think Mm -hmm. that is something I'm really has brought me a lot of hope and I'm hopeful will continue even when things start to ramp down a little bit, whenever that would be. Well, some great things to share there from both, uh, both of you there. And my, my reflection with you, my, uh, my word of hope comes into play when I have conversations with people like Mackenzie Phillips and Rachel Haynes, because it gives, (laughs) you know, I've been, uh, the temptation for somebody who's in ministry for 40 something years like me and some of my contemporaries is that, you know, you, there's always a temptation to be a little uh, jaded or cynical and that about, you know, about Mm -hmm. things really don't change all that much after working hard and so on. And sometimes they say they do. And sometimes you say that they don't. And, but what gives me a great deal of hope, because I've sometimes I've wondered what's going on in the college and seminaries and the calling to ministry. And here I see, uh, you know, people who are definitely called, definitely called. And you're also sharing with me stories about other people who are in the ranks who have not been, you know, dissolved into despair or dismay about what's going on in the world or in our church or, you know, the whole circumstances of society going on. Uh, you know, you deal with reality. You got to deal with reality. You got to deal with the brutal facts and still move, move forward in faith. It's kind of good to great thinking, which I ascribe to, but here you are saying that uh, you're in it, you're in it to win it. You're in to be a part of the long haul and to be, uh, be a child of God who, offers good things to others. So I just want to say thank you to, uh, to Rachel, uh, to, uh, to Rachel and Mackenzie for giving me a little bit of hope, a little pump up for me today. And I think it's going to be a word of encouragement uh, to our listeners on the United Methodist People podcast. So again, my thanks to Mackenzie Phillips, who is a, a pastor on the staff at High Street United Methodist Church in Muncie, Indiana, and student at Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis, and to Rachel Haynes, who is a student at Candler School of Theology in Atlanta, Georgia. And both these uh, these young women are going to be a force to be reckoned with in the church moving forward because they are passionate about Jesus Christ and about making an impact for the world through the church. And I don't know what we're going to see. It's going to be books. It's going to be ministries. It's going to be an impact in some form or another. That's going to be awesome. And God is doing a good thing. So Rachel and Mackenzie, thank you for being our guest today on on the United Methodist People Podcast. I have to say, after 40 years of ministry, there are times that I can become a little cynical, a little jaded about situations in our world and indeed even in our United Methodist Church. But today is not one of those days. I am encouraged by the witness of Rachel Haynes and of Mackenzie Phillips as they share their story of faith and their transformation and what they have to offer, their gifts and graces, which they are bringing into uh, leadership in the United Methodist Church. However things shake out in the next year or two, whether some sort of division or something happens that it dramatically changes the status quo of the church. Uh, it's the, the hope out of chaos is going to come from great leaders, great lay leadership and great clergy leadership with people, young women and young men and others who are called into the ministry like Rachel Haynes and Mackenzie Phillips. You saw how committed they were, how in, d- embedded they are in scriptures and in theology and in service and in the church and how they are committed to working through whatever the circumstances are. And they indeed are challenging, but they are undaunted. They're going to push through. They're going to face it, and they are going to be a voice of encouragement. And I want to say thank you. I want to say a big thank you to Mackenzie and to Rachel for being an encourager to me, and I hope that they were an encourager to you. Here in the United Methodist People podcast, we are here to encourage. We are here in the midst of the circumstances in our world and in our church to be a voice, to be a voice of conversation and commentary, which seeks to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church. And you can always go to our website, United Methodist Podcast, where we have lots of episodes 
there of the podcast, many of them with uh, Bishop Julius Trumbull, where we speak into the things that are happening in our world right now. We are here to be a resource for you. My name is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, a local church pastor seeking to share the good news through this method, and we would love to hear from you. It is my encouragement to you to be an enthusiastic advocate for Jesus Christ and for the United Methodist Church, no matter how things go. And I just leave you now with the words of John Wesley, which have just really brought to my mind here today in my conversation that I had with Mackenzie Phillips and Rachel Haynes. It simply says from John Wesley, quote from John Wesley, to catch on fire with enthusiasm and people will come for miles to watch you burn. Until next time, friends, this is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, United Methodist People Podcast, encouraging you to continue to do all the good that you can. Thanks so much for listening to the United Methodist People Podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. You can continue the conversation and commentary about strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church to accomplish our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Visit the United Methodist People Podcast on the web at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect at facebook.com slash unitedmethodistpodcast. And always do all the good you can.